Climate Conversations on the Business Breakfast with Dubai Holding and in partnership with the World Future Energy Summit, the leading event for future energy and sustainability, together for the good of tomorrow. And we are counting down to COP, joined on the line now by the Managing Director of Earth Matters Consulting, Tanzid Ala. Morning, Tanzid. Good morning, Richard. So we're counting down to COP, and you've been looking at some of the key risks facing a city like Dubai, a city where you live, uh, where you're based. You're looking at things like heat stress and also extreme events. Tell us more. Sure. Yeah. A few years ago, actually, my company helped the government of Dubai develop its adaptation strategy to climate change. So as part of that, we helped the government conduct modelling and assessments of how temperatures may rise in the future. So we, we identified it could rise by between two to three degrees by around the middle of this century. Uh, it doesn't sound like much, but imagine um, hot summer days, 50 degrees, heat waves of consecutive days of five days or more becoming the norm in the summer. Um, obviously, with increased humidity, that means um, the need for more cooling, keeping people safe outdoors or indoors even. Um, so, yeah, heat stress like that is really critical in this region and in Dubai in particular, as well as um, impacts like sea level rise and more extreme events and flooding, how that might affect the infrastructure of the, the Emirates. So, Tanzid, how has construction impacted the climate of Dubai? Fifty years ago, if we were here, there would have been a few houses down by the creek with wind towers, not a lot more. Maybe the airport had just uh, opened back then. Obviously, now Dubai, one of the, 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 the thriving cities of the world. How does that change the climate? Well, I think Dubai in itself is a relatively small imprint on the global climate from its own emissions as a result of uh, of, of construction. However, um, if you have more um, city, a bigger city being built, it creates dust as well. And that dust in the atmosphere can lead to air pollution and impacts on your health as well, as well as um, concrete absorbs heat during the day and releases it at nighttime. So that urban heat island effect um, is affected by increased temperatures as well. So if you go to um, you know, a really built up area of Dubai, you, you can feel that heat even at nighttime when you think the temperature should be cooling down, um, that radiation of the heat from the, the hard surfaces that absorb it. Can we talk about rising sea levels, which is, I know that some, it's something that you look at. I, I would argue in my 25 years here, I haven't noticed a rising sea level. The, the creek is no higher than it was. Going down to the beach seems very similar to it was in, in the late 1990s. And yet, rising sea levels is something that you look at quite closely. So explain that situation. One of the intriguing things we found was that Dubai hasn't really been tracking sea levels for a long period of time. You know, normally you have tide gauges which can go back 40, 50 years, but because the city's so young, it hadn't been tracking that historic rise. So so that kind of monitoring is crucial. That was one of our recommendations. So we didn't really have data at that point to to be able to figure out how sea levels may rise in the future. But based on that, we can actually still use the conservative projection of global average sea, rise, sea level rise of between half a metre to a metre um, this century on average would be what what we should be expecting here. It's not going to be as exposed to Dubai as other parts of the world, which are in like lower lying deltas like Bangladesh or the Pacific Island states who are already on the front line of sea, of sea level rise and climate change. We're pretty fortunate in that 
the the country is quite well resourced it's invested in good quality infrastructure good drainage systems when there are storms and and you know and the higher sea levels can cause the storms to be more intense as well in the future with higher storm surges which need to be dealt with in terms of volume of water so we're pretty fortunate that dubai has the resources and has invested in decent quality infrastructure in, in the last 10 years or more um to to offset that impact in the future what can companies do? We are the business breakfast after all. So you've got the, the C-suite driving to work, listening to this this morning or watching at home or, or maybe even in the office if they're already at, at 26 minutes past eight in the morning. What can companies in Dubai do? Firstly, I would say look at climate change as not just a, a sustainability kind of person that needs to deal with it. Put it at the board level. It's a it's a risk and an opportunity for your business so with any company, look at it as part of your enterprise risk management and mainstreaming it within that. Um, it's easy to deal with issues like reducing your emissions because there's a clear business case around investing in renewables and energy efficiency. But firstly, start with assessing the physical risks that climate change poses. There are methodologies and standards out there that enable you to do that. We help businesses to do that as well. Um, Like the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosures has a physical risk assessment um, component, which you could use to then start understanding how you might be affected, your business, your supply chain might be affected by um, heat stress, by extreme events. If you're in the food and commodity, food and beverage business, if you're importing food from potentially um, climate stressed parts of the world, how will that supply chain be affected? How can you help ensure if you're importing rice from India, for example, that those farmers are well protected from climate change impacts because, because they're also on the front line and making sure you can still keep supplying rice to the local market, but um, diversifying and looking at other sources of um, food and rice, for example. So there's practical tools that can be used to assess your risks, but firstly, assess it. Then you know what the information is. Then you can make ask the so what questions. What do I do as a result of this information? And there's some um, pretty quick and easy things that, that companies can do as well. Finally, Tanzi, let's talk about uh, buildings again. You touched on this earlier, the fact that there's been so much construction in Dubai and, and the wider region as well. And there's a couple of points that you make. First of all, we need to make efficient buildings when we're building them, make the cooling efficient, make the buildings efficient. But also, you say, in terms of getting a, a mortgage or a loan on a building, banks, financial services organisations, increasingly looking at the carbon footprint of a building, deciding whether or not to give a 15, 20, 25 year loan on that building. What do we know? Yeah, well, this is a critical area. You you know, banks, insurance companies and elsewhere in other parts of the world have been looking at the risks facing their asset classes from climate change. So if you're going to be lending money to um, potentially a developer who wants to develop in a coastal area that's vulnerable to sea level rise, that premium may increase for them unless they have safeguards in place. Now, um, uh, financial services here, the industry here is a, is not quite as far ahead uh, as their their counterparts in Europe and in America in assessing these risks and pricing that in. Um, so that's something that I know the, the UAE Ministry of Climate Change has been um, working with, with government, uh, with, with, 
with um, banks and insurance companies here to help them understand what that means for their business. The Central Bank of the UAE also could play an important role here in setting mandatory climate stress tests for financial institutions here. So they can assess, like what the Bank of England is doing, um, so you have to kind of assess the risk of your portfolio, your investments from climate change and increased temperature rise in the future and disclose those risks and manage them as well and figure out how you can um, put together better insurance products or new insurance products or um, green mortgages, for example, that incentivize developers to go for the top rated energy efficiency standard. So it doesn't, you know, it can help price out that risk for them, that initial expenditure. Um, green mortgages for for, for um individuals as well to be able to access those you know if you have a if you're rating if you're getting a building or a villa that's the highest um, energy efficient rating that's been dealt with that can deal with storm water and recollect that really well that could be interesting areas that you could start putting in a price that's more attractive for people to invest in those sorts of assets. Tanzid, we're going to have to leave it there. Fascinating conversation. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. The thoughts of the Managing Director of Earth Matters Consulting here in Dubai, Tanzid Alam, talking to us as we build up to COP28. Climate Conversations on the Business Breakfast. With Dubai Holding and in partnership with the World Future Energy Summit, the leading event for future energy and sustainability, together for the good of tomorrow. All right, well, we have just heard in our first climate conversation this morning with Tanzid Alam the need to measure risk uh, in order to try and ensure against it. But how do you go about doing the math from that. Uh, Joining us live from Australia this morning to discuss climate scenario analysis, so measuring that risk and its costs, is Alexander Pui. He's a banking risk executive and an adjunct fellow at the University of New South Wales. Uh, Morning, Alexander. It's lovely to speak to you. Yeah, morning, Brandy. So we do see an awful lot of headlines about the cost of, of climate change, the cost of climate risk, usually with an awful lot of zeros attached to them. How do economists and banks and academics and insurers actually estimate the cost of that risk? So there are various ways to do that. So um, in terms of looking at top down, so that's one way where uh, economists would typically look at the composition of a GDP of a country and look at then the shocks, the climate Uh, weather shocks, if you like, things like cyclones, storms, floods, and so forth, to look at how uh, GDP growth is impacted by these uh, events. So that's one way of looking at it. Another way of looking at it is through the insurance lens, which is typically through uh, catastrophe losses and catastrophe loss models. So therefore, you have, uh, let's say, aggregations of exposures like properties uh, that are very well mapped out, and then sort of built up bottom up. So what's the replacement cost, for example, for a particular house that's impacted by these said climate perils? How accurate is it, given that by its very nature, we're dealing with unpredictable events? That That's a fantastic question and a, and a very challenging one. And in, in the literature so far, um, I would say that, it, you know, in terms of climate-related losses, we've only really had some idea of how it's manifested in terms of catastrophe losses. So we're looking at those, what, what's in the terminology called acute climate physical risks, like cyclones and storms, uh, bushfires and others. 
So these tend to be quite well mapped out by, um, you know, the insurance companies or particular, in particular the reinsurance companies that actually take a large chunk of this risk on board and that's reported quite well. So there are World Bank databases that correlate quite well with, let's say, those of Munich Re or Swiss Re or the large reinsurers that have a global view of these disasters. Uh, obviously, there are also estimates out there that look at drought uh, and other form of chronic risk, but that, that is quite well understood at the moment. The issue, though, is uh, all that's really looking at current climate risks, right? Not so much the future climate risk aspect, and and that's only giving us a small picture of, of of what could could eventuate in the future. Does it need to be perfect though to be useful? No, not at all. I, I think that shouldn't preclude lack of data, and and uh, you know the best modelling methodologies should not preclude us, the community, the climate scenario analytics community in particular, from trying to have good guesstimates and narratives of the future state. And importantly, those future states uh, need to be sort of they need to be consistent with the physical or the biophysical narratives from IPCC and others. And that's where, where we see a bit of a disconnect. Uh, actually, it's an understatement. It's a lot of a disconnect uh, between, let's say, climate stress tests that have emerged around the world in the last two, three years, uh, very benign loss impacts at 2,100 at timelines under very severe civic, uh, physical uh, climate scenarios uh, versus let's say, very dire consequences that are predicted, uh, you know, in a four degree or five, a three, four, five degree warmed world, depending on which scenario we, we well, take. What's the danger of that disconnect, Alexander? I think there are a few. So the first is everyone sort of being lulled into a, a false sense of security. That That is, I think, uh, one of the largest dangers. So not spurring enough action when cost-benefit type analysis are done uh, on a, a sort of on a policy basis that would you know steer us towards more radical action otherwise uh, in the decarbonisation efforts. So that's the first, um, and I, I think that would have to be one one of the largest, uh, if not the largest, impact. Are you suggesting then that knowing how much in dollars and cents? dirhams and fills, um, it's going to cost businesses and, and governments and the rest would increase decarbonisation efforts rather than the whole saving the planet and keeping species alive argument. No, I'm not trying to say that at all, but uh, into, especially into a distant future. And that's uh, probably why I think there needs to be a more holistic uh, attempt at quantifying climate risk, not just from a, a very narrow lens of, let's say, credit losses, expected credit losses, for example, or insurance premiums, on the other example. So there, there really should be a, a broader definition of, of a viable uh, you know, uh, and, and sustainable planet, for, for sure, that, that factors into these decisions. But... Uh, Nevertheless, I think it's important to, to sort of have a view on the financial risks involved to be able to see, you know, what the impacts will likely be in, let's say, the shorter to medium term. So there's definitely more of a tangible benefit for individual firms um, and societies uh, in, in the nearer term when we look at some of more of these short term scenarios. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I, I say that half in jest, but absolutely. I mean, when you talk about insurance and the rest of them, these are creating uh, some very real and increasing costs for companies. Um, how are you seeing on the ground insurance and reassurance companies factoring this in more? Is the cost of business becoming more expensive because of climate change? Theoretically, yes, that, that would be the case because if uh, reinsurance premiums rise and the costs increase, then that's a cost that um, ostensibly, 
ostensibly will will flow down to to, to end consumers. Uh, in terms of, let's say, if you're having a, a home policy, right? So if a primary insurer were to need to fork out more to buy reinsurance, then those some of those costs may be then passed on to the end consumers. Uh, so there, there definitely is that kind of impact. But I, I would caution that I think in the current year uh, where we're seeing all these very uh, radical rate rises in the reinsurance markets, it's not just a function of climate change, but it's also a function of other non-climate related factors, such as a high inflation, high interest rate environment globally, uh, and also coming off a, a series of, let's say, low rate environments in the reinsurance sector that resulted in uh, lower than expected sectoral performance. So there's a need to, to kind of remediate and, and, and justify those returns there. Are we more likely to feel it, though, in everyday life? Is the climate risk factor going to start changing things like not just how much I pay for a mortgage, but where I can get a mortgage? That, I think, definitely something that that all these financial institutions around the world are trying to better understand. But uh, it, it would be, it, it's still very much an exploratory looking to see the, what we can do before we get to that kind of outcome because uh, there's a lot of interventions that can happen, for example, uh, improving the resilience of homes, uh, making smarter decisions about where we build and development decisions to be able to change the future before we get to that sort of outcome. Because if you're looking at uh, financial buffers or shock absorbers of climate, such as insur- reinsurance just being one of them, others being government actions, so thinking about risk pools and looking at buyback schemes uh, across the world and, and, and radical government action intervention post-disaster events, uh, that's really not not the way to go, not the only way to go, but prevention's always better than cure. Thanks so much for joining us this morning from Australia. Alexander Pui, who is a banking risk executive and an adjunct fellow at the University of New South Wales. We appreciate you joining us on the Business Breakfast. I, I liked his comment about prevention better than cure. It reminds me of one of your favourite phrases, which is, it's better to have a fence at the top of the cliff rather than... The ambulance at the bottom. Exactly. Climate Conversations on the Business Breakfast. With Dubai Holding and in partnership with the World Future Energy Summit, the leading event for future energy and sustainability. Together for the good of tomorrow.